Welcome to the Grace Baptist Church podcast, and thanks for joining us for this episode. Before we begin, please take a moment to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you enjoy this content, please don't hesitate to leave us a five-star review and share this podcast with your friends. We'd like to extend an invitation to you and your family to join us for worship this week at Grace Baptist Church. We'd also love to connect with you online at gracekettering.org. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy the episode. It is a delight to be here and I'm glad you're here this morning for uh, this beginning Sunday of Mission Weeks and I'm very honored for the opportunity to start this month off to talk about missions. I am grateful for the support of this church both for our family and the Mahdi Project uh, that we have in, in Uganda and also the Overton family that serves our, with our ministry and uh, we appreciate your partnership in this work. It's a huge blessing to us. I thought it'd be a good idea, and I'm going to jump right into this for Sunday school because of the time. <clears throat> and I'm assuming, uh, Pastor, I need to be done by 10.15-ish, 11.30-ish, something like that. Um, I thought it would be a good idea to start off this morning a uh, message called The Status of World Evangelism. And I'll explain what that, uh, what that is in just a moment. But I want really to take the Sunday school hour and give us an awareness of the need. And I know we, we all believe that the world needs Jesus and that the gospel needs to go to every creature. Uh, but I want to give us a real picture, a real factual, statistical picture of what it looks like uh, to finish the task of reaching the world with the gospel. And then uh, in, this, in the, the morning service, I want to talk about the Lord's burden to reach them. And then in the evening service tonight, I want to give us a personal challenge to take up the mantle and join that mission. So let's jump right into this, if you would. Let's uh, bow together for a brief word of prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity to focus on your mission for the next uh, few sessions today, these services. I pray that you'll challenge our hearts, and I pray that uh, you will help us to see that the task you've assigned to us, the mission you've asked us to join, is, is doable that we can reach the world. And I pray you'll challenge and stir our hearts this morning in Jesus' name, amen. The status of world evangelism. I wanna start out with this statement in every service today. God is on a mission to reveal his glory and extend his grace to every kindred, tribe, and tongue. If you ask me to summarize the Bible, this is my summary of the entire Bible. God is on a mission. Now, we use the word missions in the plural sense, and the word missions actually refers to our contribution to the mission. We are involved in missions. What does that mean? We're sending a missionary here, we're sending a missionary there, we're doing a Bible project there. So we're involved in missions, but it's all contributing to one single mission. God is on a single mission to reveal His glory and extend His grace to everybody on the face of this earth. He wants everyone to know who He is, and He wants everyone to be brought to Him. Can you say amen to that? That's true, isn't it? So, we need to understand God's on a mission. God has given this mission to the church. He has enlisted us. In my prayer, I corrected myself in my prayer because I said the task you've assigned us. But we need to see that God has not assigned us a task. He has invited us to join a mission, or He has co-missioned us with Him in this task of getting the gospel to the ends of the earth. So we need to accept that responsibility. 
After Jesus rose from the dead, five times he gave what we call commissions. And these five commissions make up what is commonly termed as the Great Commission. If I were to ask the average Christian, what is the Great Commission? The answer would be, well, it's Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, and baptizing them, and so forth. And yeah, that's a good answer, but that's one commission. There are five of them. There are actually people who believe that the Lord gave the Great Commission once, <clears throat> and the different writers put it in their own words and terminology. I don't believe that at all. I believe there were five distinct times that the Lord commissioned us to join Him on the mission. And each time He did, He used different wording because each time there was a specific reason and a specific message that He wanted to get across to the disciples and to us to help us fully understand the whole scope of the mission, the whole, the whole realm of what is to be done. And so I'm actually writing a book on this right now and I hope to have it out maybe within the next year. But I want to look at these very briefly with you, and I'm only going to turn in the Scripture with you to the first one. Would you go with me to John chapter 20? <clears throat> John chapter 20. And uh, I, want, I want this, what I'm about to do right here, I hope it will challenge you to do your own study. And what I want to look at this morning is not Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. <clears throat> Those are the five places in the Bible where you find these commissions but I want to look at them in chronological order. I want to look at them in the order that the Lord stated or gave them to the apostles. John 20 is the first one. Look at the first verse of John 20. The first day of the week, note that phrase right there. The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early when it was yet dark unto the sepulcher and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulcher. So you're, you're uh, schooled in the scriptures, so you know without even reading any further we're talking about Resurrection Day here, right? Nod your head if you know what I'm talking about, Resurrection Day. All right, so Mary's come to the tomb. You can read on in the text. She goes and finds Peter and John. They come look at the tomb. Mary encounters the Lord when he approached her. She thought it was the gardener. Go all the way down now to verse 19. <clears throat> verse 19 says, Then the same day at evening. So, in verse 1, we were on the day of the resurrection, the morning that Jesus came out of the grave. And verse 19, what day are we on now? We're still on the same day, right? The same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. And when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Then said Jesus to them, Peace be unto you, and here's the commission of John. As my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. So John 20, 21 is the first time the Lord gave this commission, and I term this one the sender. Here's the significance of John 20, 21. Jesus is the one who is sending you. Now listen carefully. If we don't get that foundational truth, it really doesn't matter what comes next. If you don't understand the authority of the one who is telling you this, you will not feel compelled to obey it. But there, there's overlap with these commissions, so well, we'll get there in a minute, but we could go to Matthew 20, 18, where it says, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. That word not only means the power to control and sustain everything, but it also means the authority. All authority belongs to Jesus. All authority belongs to Jesus. And He is the one who is saying to you, 
I'm sending you. If you get that, then whatever he says next, it really doesn't matter what he's going to say next because you are compelled to obey it. You're compelled to follow it. So now do you see what I mean when I say each time the Lord gave this commission, there's a specific message. And the disciples needed to understand that as the Lord was sent to this earth, we are being sent into this world. Now, we could preach a whole message on this, and this is what my book develops a little bit. <clears throat> but why did Jesus come to this earth? Could I summarize why the Lord came to this earth? He came to this earth, number one, to glorify His Father. Isn't that true? Uh, if you ask the average Christian, why did Jesus come to earth, uh, come to this world, you, you would say this, the average Christian would say, He came here to die for my sins. That's a true statement, but that's not the main reason He came. The primary reason He came was to bring glory to His Father, and the secondary reason He came was to make a path for you to get to the Father. Isn't that true? He came here, listen to this. Here's my summary. Jesus came to this earth to glorify His Father and lay down His life so people could come to God. And you know why we're here? As the Father sent me, the word as means in the same manner and for the same purpose. We are sent into this world to glorify the Father and bring people to God. Can you say amen with me this morning? We can't, we can't die for their sins because we're not sinless. But we can tell them of the one who died for their sins. We can lay down our lives. Jesus laid down his life to bring people to God. And we can lay down our lives for the sake of the gospel. So that's the significance of the first one. I'm going through these pretty quickly because I want to I wanna give, give you some statistics here in a moment. <clears throat> the second time we find, and we're not going to turn to all these for time's sake. Second time we find it is Mark 16, 15. This is about eight days later. Do you remember when, when Jesus appeared the first time there? Thomas wasn't there. And eight days later, he appeared to them again, and Thomas was there. And so this is the scope, because Mark 16, 15 says, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel, say it with me, to every creature. So whatever he's sending us to do, has to reach everybody. This is the significance of Mark 16 15. The scope of this is worldwide. No one is to be left out. The third time the Lord gave the Great Commission is Matthew 28, 19, and 20. And I call this one the strategy. The strategy is disciple making. We are not commissioned to go into this world and get people saved. That's just the first step of the commission. The second step is to baptize them, bring them into a body of saved, baptized believers, <clears throat> and then verse 20, teach them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. So the significance of Matthew is there is a strategy to what we're doing. I'm sending you, number one, to everybody on earth, number two, for the purpose of making disciples, bringing people into the family of God and teaching them all things I've taught you so that they will become one who goes into the world and brings people into the family of God and teaches them to go and bring people into the family of God. Do you see the strategy here? And listen, it would work if we would follow it. There are a lot of ministries that focus entirely on gospel crusades. I'm not being critical here. Please don't misunderstand. Entirely on gospel crusades. Let's go somewhere and just get a bunch of people saved. And then we go back to America and think we've done something fantastic. Actually, we did a disservice to those people. Now, if they truly got saved, thank God they're on the way to heaven. And I'm not criticizing that kind of effort but it's not the fullness of the commission. There's much more to it than that. <clears throat> Number four, um, by the way, 
John's on the first day, the resurrection day. Uh, Mark is eight days later. Matthew is about two weeks later. And it is believed that this one takes place on a hillside in Galilee, the region of Galilee, the same place where he preached the Sermon on the Mount. So Luke 24, 47 is the subject. And this one says that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations. So I'm sending you, everybody on earth, to make disciples. And the message by which you make disciples is the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you don't talk about Jesus, you're not fulfilling the Great Commission. You can do all kinds of social work. You can do all kinds of, uh, of medical help and, and clean water and all that kind of stuff. And all that is good, and it is encouraged by the Lord. It, it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful thing to do. But if you help them with their medical needs and you don't tell them the gospel of Christ, you have not fulfilled the Great Commission. You have done great social things um, that the Lord appreciates, but they need to be saved. They need to know about the repentance of their sin and the remission that is offered through Jesus Christ. The last time we find it, as you would well expect, Luke is just uh, a day or two before we read in Acts chapter 1 where Jesus is at the Mount of Olives and he's going back to heaven. And Acts 1.8 says, But ye shall receive power after that the Spirit uh, is come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses. So this one is the Spirit. The scope, I'm sorry, the sender, the scope, the strategy, the subject, and the Spirit of God. <clears throat> and in my opinion, Acts 1-8 is, is what seals the deal. Because if you gave me the first four and you didn't offer me any help, I would be very discouraged. But now that I have the Spirit of God going with me, I can go. And I can experience the success of the mission because the success of the mission is promised by God. It's not guaranteed by my slick delivery of the gospel. It's all empowered by His Spirit. Isn't that encouraging right there to see the full scope of that? I believe that's what the Lord wanted the disciples to see and He wanted us to see. So, if this is the commission, then we need to ask ourselves some questions. Have we taken the gospel to the whole world? Does everybody have a Bible in their language? And are we really taking this great commission seriously? And honestly, folks, and again, I, I don't want to be negative today, but uh, I believe there are a lot of churches that are doing a... a um, a symbolic part, having a symbolic part in the Great Commission by having a few missionary letters on the wall and we throw a few dollars at them and we're involved in missions. But what about the condition of the world? Are we really reaching the world for Christ? I want to give you some statistics this morning in these, four cat in these three categories, then we'll get to a solution. But I want, to, I want to really, in the first three parts right there, I want to overwhelm your heart with the need. I want you to say, oh my goodness, I, I just can't believe what still is left to be done. But when we get to the solution, I want you to see, oh, we can get it done. I don't want you to be overwhelmed to the point of despair, but I want you to see we can get it done, okay? So first of all, let's talk about languages in Scripture, and I'm going to fly through this. If I've, I've referred to some of these numbers in past visits. I know your pastor is well-educated in this subject, and you've probably heard some of these. So if any of this is repetitious, just bear with me if you would. But I want to put it all together in a package and kind of help us get the big picture all at once. There's 7,139 languages in the world. How many of you, for you, that is an astounding number. You had no idea it was that high. 7,139 languages. And another sad fact is I only know one of them. Actually, I know two languages. <laughs> I know English 
and hillbilly English. Okay, <clears throat> as far as I get, but I got smart people that work with us that can, can speak in more of them. So 7,139, now this is another astounding number, only 704 of those have the whole Bible. About 1,500 have a New Testament and about 1,100 have a portion of Scripture and that leaves 3,724 languages without one verse. About 3,000 of those languages are still unwritten. There is no, there is no print in, of, of any kind. There's no alphabet in their language. So if we want to put the Bible in their language, you've got to start from the very beginning by creating their writing system, writing primers to teach them how to read, writing dictionaries. It's, it's a huge, huge task. We're targeting eight different languages in Central Asia where we're trying to do just that. So those are astounding numbers, aren't they? 3,724 languages without one verse of Scripture. Here's a breakdown of where those languages are primarily by continent. In the Americas, there's 521. Africa has 1,099 languages without Scripture. And 1,462 languages in Asia, on the continent of Asia, without any Scripture. That's an overwhelming need, isn't it? So I, I didn't correct that number. It's, let me back up to that other one. There you go, 3,724 languages without Scripture. So remember that number, 3724. <clears throat> Matthew 28, 19 says go. Let's talk about people groups now. We're already in category number three, and we're doing good on time. The word nations in Matthew 28, 19 doesn't mean political countries. It means people groups. I'm sure you've heard that before. It means ethnic groups. So when the Lord looks at this world and when He said to the, the apostles, go to every nation, He didn't mean make sure you get to Mexico and Brazil and Uruguay and Chile. Make sure you get to each one of these countries. That's not what He meant. He meant make sure you get to all peoples, every ethnic group. Because in Revelation 5, 9 and 7, 9, it says that gathered around the throne of God are going to be people from every kindred, tribe, and tongue. Those are all terms referring to the ethnicities of the people of this world. So, a people group, by definition, is a group of individuals with a common language, religion, culture, and ethnic background. As it relates to church planting, <coughs> it is the largest group within which the gospel can be, uh, can be spread as a church planting movement without encountering cultural barriers of acceptance or understanding. So, if I, if I could illustrate that very quickly, Papua New Guinea is the most linguistically diverse country on earth, 850 plus different languages on that small island. Uh, if you go to Papua New Guinea, and my friend was there uh, for a number of years trying to reach the Kamea tribe, and my friend wins a young man to Christ, and the young man keeps coming to church, and he really gets a burden for the gospel, and he says, Pastor John, I want to go to the next village and you can see it across the mountains over there. It takes about three days to get there because there's no way to get there but walking. And, and he says, I'd like to take the gospel to the next village. And Pastor John says, okay, we'll support you. We'll help you. You go over there. Well, he arrives in the village and he finds out they speak a different language. And even though they're in close proximity, these 850 different languages, they can't understand what he's got to say. So that's a cultural barrier. That's a barrier of acceptance and understanding that has to be crossed over in order to spread the gospel to that people group. Does that make sense to you? All right, so how many nations are there on earth? There's 17,441. Out of that number, 
only 10,034 of them are considered reached. And I'll define those terms in just a moment. Uh, 7,407 of them are considered unreached. And about 3,100, almost 3,200 of them are considered unengaged. So we have three categories here. We have reached, unreached, and unengaged. Let me define the term reached first. Everybody in this county is reached. Now, you, you're, you're probably going to say, well, there's a lot of people around here that aren't saved. There's people around here that have never even heard the, a, a clear presentation of the gospel. So how can you say they're reached? That's true. There are a lot of unsaved people right in this neighborhood. But every one of them has, here's the key word, access to the gospel. There's a church preaching the gospel near these people. There's a Bible in the language of the people in this county. So they have access. That's the, what the word reached means. They live in an area that the gospel has reached. Not all the individuals are reached, but the gospel has reached this area or this people. What's the word unreached mean? Technically, the word unreached means that less than 2% of the population can be considered evangelical Christian. And they don't have sufficient resources to, 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 to begin or sustain a church planning movement. But the practical definition of the opposite of what I just said a moment ago about a reached people is no access. There's no church anywhere near where these people live. Now, there may be a few here and there who are saved by the witness of a missionary or by a gospel radio broadcast or some other means like that, but there are just so few of them in number, and they have no access to churches and training and help from the outside to know what to do to spread the faith. They don't have a Bible in their language to teach them what to do. So these people groups have no access to the gospel. It's a sad fact, isn't it? Uh, wouldn't it be sad to live in a place where not only do you not, not know who Jesus Christ is, but you have no way to find out, and no one's brought it to you? So the term unengaged then takes it a step further. It means there is no church planting strategy underway consistent with evangelical faith and practice. And that means, practically speaking, no one is coming. So they're not only unreached, but nobody's on the way. So not only do you live in an unreached people group where you have no access to learn about who Jesus is, but nobody's on the way to bring it to you either. There really, really is no hope for you unless something changes. When we say in that first part up there, in the unreached definition where it says less than 2% are, are evangelical Christian, <clears throat> if you do missions research and you find these websites such as joshuaproject.net and peoplegroups.org, if you, if you look at the statistics that will tell you what percentage of this people is Christian, you can just divide that number by, by a lot because the word Christian is a very, today, very broad category that includes all kinds of Protestant groups, Anglican, Orthodox. Sometimes it even includes uh, Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons. Everybody that's not Hindu, Buddhist, or Muslim is lumped into the Christian category in a lot of missions research. So in, in India, for example, uh, they say India is 6% Christian, but that includes all those groups. And if you really get it down to truly evangelical Christian, born-again believers, it's way less than 6%. Countries with the most unreached people groups, India is number one, with 2,718 people groups, and 2,445 of them are unreached. Pakistan comes in second. China is third, with 445 unreached people groups. 
So let's illustrate it here with some graphics. From the nation, or the continent rather, of Africa, we pull the country of Burkina Faso and we start identifying people groups. There's a, a map of the country of Burkina Faso and every green dot on that map is a place where there's, there's been a church planted, there's gospel preaching being done, they're trying to teach people the Bible. And then you have a lighter green and then you have an orange dot in some of those and then you have a, a red dot. So that's a scale done by some missions research people going from an area that is reached with the gospel, green, to an area that is red that is totally unreached with the gospel. And you can see that map has quite a few red dots still on it. There are 28 of them, to be exact, that are still considered unreached people groups. Now listen, this is not just an unreached village. This is an unreached people group. The dot represents an ethnicity of people that maybe speak a different language from the ones in green. Uh, and that's a barrier that still has to be crossed. Are you with me so far? Does that all make sense? <clears throat> Look at Indonesia. Indonesia has 472 people groups that still have no scripture. A lot of red dots there. Iran has 84 unreached people groups. We think about Iran as a place that just, you know, they speak Farsi or Persian. Um, it's a Middle Eastern country or whatever you, however you want to describe it but there's 94 different ethnicities in that country, and 84 of them are still considered unreached. Laos and Vietnam, 106 unreached in Laos, 67 unreached people groups in Vietnam. Let's take the country of India from the continent of Asia and start identifying people groups. Population 1.27 billion. India has 2,717 people groups, 2,445 of them are unreached. Look at all the red dots on that map. And if you can see, uh, I don't know if my pointer is going to work. See that area right there with no dots in it right there? That's the country of Bangladesh, and that's what it looks like with all the red dots of unreached people groups. Um, 299 unreached people groups. And even, even those who uh, in the research say that this country is less than 1% Christian, remember what Christian includes? So look how few people are actually born-again believers in the country of Bangladesh. If you take this list of people groups, over 7,000 of them, and you put them all on a database, uh, the, the 50 at the top with the largest populations, they're all over 10 million. So I don't want you to think that we're talking about an unreached tribe somewhere in a dark jungle that, that is dancing around a fire and there's 55 of those people and they don't have the gospel. No, we're talking about huge ethnic pockets of people. The top 50 are over 10 million. Six of them are over 50 million. And the total population of the unreached people groups just in the 50 largest unreached people groups is one and a half billion people. That's 20% of our world. And we're still in the top 50. So we're talking about a large number. We're actually talking about over three and a half billion people. In the last three minutes, 85 people died who never heard the gospel. And 210 babies were born into a world with no access to the gospel. So that slide right there will tell you that we are just right on the, on, the, on the face value of it, we're losing ground. Because in unreached, the unreached parts of the world, they're, they're dying at the rate of 85 every three minutes and being born at the rate of 210 every three minutes. And we still don't have missionaries in a lot of these places. So there, there are more unreached people on earth today than there ever has been at any point in history. 
Is this overwhelming? Is this overwhelming? Robert Moffat said in the vast plain of the north and the morning sun, I've seen at different times the smoke of a thousand villages, villages whose people are without Christ, without God, and without hope. And he said that over a hundred years ago. He died in 1883. But that's still true. There's still thousands of villages. This is a profile on the Kampa people of Tibet. And it's probably too small to read. But right up here in this part, it says that the 2020 population of these people was 179,700. A friend, uh, I heard a man speak who had been a missionary to this people group. And when he left that people group because his wife was dying of altitude sickness, way up in the Himalayan, Himalayan mountains, he came home and he gave testimony that he knew of two believers among the Kampa tribe, the, the Kampa people. That's taken from a, group, a book called The Buddhist Peoples of the World. So 7,407 unreached people groups. That's an overwhelming number, isn't it? Where do these unreached, unengaged people groups live? I'm sure you've heard this term, the 1040 window. This is a, a, a place on our globe. The term was coined by Louis Bush back in 1990. It covers Africa, Europe, and Asia from the 10th to the 40th parallel. 67 geopolitical countries, over 4 billion people in this window. And it has 84% of the world's unreached people groups. So out of that 7,407 unreached, 6,205 of them live in that part of the world right there. Isn't that shocking? That is the most unreached part of our globe right there. That part of the world contains three of the most powerful strongholds of the devil. Anybody know what the world's largest false religion is? Islam, 1.85 billion people. Hinduism with 1.2 billion. Buddhism with 502 million. That's over a half a billion. And, and very interesting, I don't know if you'll see this dot or not, but right, right there is the country of, anybody know? Israel. And could I say it this way, just for the sake of this presentation here, that's where Jesus came to this earth and established Christianity, right? And surrounding that part of the world is the darkest part of our globe. That's overwhelming. How in the world could we penetrate that? Now let's talk about the missionaries. <clears throat> How many are, they and are there and where are they? This survey was done about a dozen years ago, so it probably needs to be updated, but I've allowed for some, uh, some adjustment in it. There's 14,000, approximately 14,000 independent Baptist churches, two and a half million members, and we send out about 4,000 missionaries. So that's one missionary for every three and a half churches or one missionary for every 625 members. Among Southern Baptists, there are 47,592 churches, and this is off of their statistics just for uh, 2020. 14.1 million members and 3,558 missionaries. So that's one missionary for every 13.4 churches, or one for every 3,962 members. Can I just give you a comparison right there? When the Moravian missionaries went out in the 1700s, the Moravian missionary movement, they were sending out one missionary for every four church members all over the globe. And we're sending out one for every 625 or every 3,962. So what I wanted to point out with this mainly is there is 61,592 churches just in America 
that claim, at least, to preach the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And we still have over 7,000 unreached people groups. That shouldn't be, should it? 85% of our missionaries, now this is uh, strictly independent Baptist right here, 85% of our missionaries are in 15 different countries. We keep sending missionaries where our missionaries have already been. Uh, 30% of them are in Brazil, Mexico, the United Kingdom, the Philippines, and Canada. And only 8% of independent Baptist missionaries are working in the 1040 window where 84% of the world's unreached people groups live. That seems a little off balance, out of balance to me. Does it you? Nod your head with me. Out of balance, isn't it? Um, why do we keep sending missionaries to the same places? Can I just be very honest with you for a moment? <clears throat> there are two reasons. Number one, there's momentum for Brazil. I'm not being critical of anybody in Brazil. If, if somebody said this morning, God's called me to be a missionary in Brazil, I would shake your hand and say, praise the Lord. Let's get the man to the field as soon as we possibly can, or the lady, whoever it is. Let's do something to finish reaching Brazil for Christ. But there's momentum for Brazil because there already have been missionaries that went there first and pioneered the way and planted churches and translated the Bible into Portuguese. Are you with me? So a missionary going to Brazil doesn't have to be a pioneer. He can, I, I've heard this testimony all my life. The first term on the field, I'm going to work with a veteran missionary and learn the people and the culture, and then I'm going to go plant a church somewhere else. That is not a wrong method. That's very advisable for anybody who's never been to a foreign field. But somebody had to go there first, right? So if we have 7,407 unreached people groups, somebody's got to go there first. We ought to consider such need where there are so many unreached people groups, and there, there are not just unreached people groups in the 1040 window, there's unreached people groups in Mexico. So I'm not criticizing missions to Mexico, there's unreached people groups across the Amazon basin. So I'm not criticizing going there, but I'm saying, why don't we come up with a strategy to get where the gospel hasn't been yet, and why don't we have that pioneer spirit to finish the task of the Great Commission? Did he not say every creature and every nation? Uh, William Borden, you may know this name from the Borden Dairy, uh, would have been a very wealthy man, but when he was 16 years old, his parents sent him on a trip around the world, <clears throat> and that was his 16th birthday present. And when he was in China, he encountered a Muslim people group, and this Muslim people group um, needed the gospel, obviously, and God broke his heart for them. He came back home. He went to college, got his graduate or undergraduate degree. He went to seminary, got his graduate degree, and then he headed off to Cairo, Egypt to learn Arabic so he could go to China <clears throat> to reach his Muslim people group, and he died in Egypt from meningitis. There's a book written on, on, on him called Borden of Yale. That's where he went to seminary. Here's what William Borden said. If 10 men are carrying a log, nine of them at the little end and one at the heavy end, and you want to help, on which end will you lift? So that's a pretty good picture, isn't it? If you really feel like God wants you in His mission, and every believer ought to feel like God wants us on mission with Him, and we really want to help, where do you think we should focus some of our resources? We ought to focus it on the places that are still waiting. Now let's get to the solution and we'll bring this to a close. Solution first is prayer. Now here's where I want to show you that, that the overwhelming nature of what we've talked about so far 
is not beyond reach. It's not beyond being doable. And it might startle you to, 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 think, uh, to hear that my first answer to getting this thing solved is prayer. But may I remind you, that's the, that's the first command of the Lord in response to what we just talked about. Matthew 9.36, Jesus looked on the fields. He looked on the people who were scattered as sheep without a what? Without a shepherd. It means they have no one to guide them into the truth. They have no one to teach them what is right. They have no one to share the gospel with them. And it broke the heart of the Lord. And instead of saying, now Peter and John, you get that people over there. And James, you get that people over there. And uh, Thomas, you come over here. And, and Alphaeus, or, or Matthew, and, and Levi, you come over here. And, and Philip, come help me in this section. Let's get better organized, people. Come on, come on, get to it. Let's go. Work harder. Do more. Come up with better plans. He didn't say any of that, did he? He said, I see a field that is unreached, but I know who the Lord of the field is, and that's who you need to talk to. Man, you could preach a whole message on that. I'm sure you've heard messages on that, but it's so powerful. The Lord of the harvest is the one that sends laborers. So Jesus talking to disciples, instead of sending laborers, he said, let's talk to the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers. He's the sender, right? He knows how to get the attention of a laborer. And we're going to talk about that in church this morning in a little while. But the first response is prayer. So if you're saying, the overwhelming need that you have shared with us, I have no idea what I could do about it. That's what you can do about it. And may I give you this challenge? I may have given you this before. Every single day, would you just add a phrase to your prayer, Lord, please send more laborers to the unreached fields of this world. If you're not praying that prayer, I'm not being unkind, but you're in disobedience to Jesus because that's what he said to do. Pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers. I pray that phrase after every prayer, at the end of most every prayer that I pray. And somebody might say, well, if you just say that in your prayer, it'll become kind of routine, just kind of, you know, ritual. Could I ask you to think about the prayers you pray and how many phrases we use that we don't really think about? God bless my family. We say that probably every time you pray. What do you mean by that? You, it's just become a routine. Uh, so if you say, God, please send more laborers to the unreached fields of this world, it might become routine, but work not for it not to be routine. <laughs> really mean it when you say it. And let's get the heart of God in us. And I really believe that God gets his labor force from the prayer force. God gets laborers from the group that prays. And the reason the world is still half unreached is because we're not asking God to reach them. And God has no ready, open, willing, and, and, and attentive hearts to burden toward those unreached people groups. Are you with me? Now, I might have just scared you off from praying. Because you're, you're afraid, well, I, I, you know, I want the world to be reached, but I don't want to go. So I'm not going to pray. No, pray anyway. And if God calls you to go and you go, it'll be the most blessed life you could possibly have. Amen, preacher? Just following God's will is always a blessed life. The safest place is the center of God's will. You ever heard that? It's not true. The most blessed place is the center of God's will. 
God never guaranteed our safety, but he did guarantee his presence. He will go with us. Hudson Taylor said, We do well to remember that this gracious God who has condescended to place his almighty power at the command of believing prayer looks not lightly upon the blood guiltiness of those who neglect to avail themselves of it for the benefit of the perishing. I don't want to get to heaven and God say to me, I couldn't even get you to pray. I, I couldn't get you to go. I couldn't even get you to pray. I couldn't even get you to care about those people that I wanted so desperately to know the gospel. The second part of the plan is passion, or the solution rather is passion. Paul said in Romans 15, 28, so have I strived to preach the gospel, not where Christ is named. I worked hard to get where no one had gone before with the gospel. And the church needs this passion. We need a strategy to reach the rest of the world. Not neglecting Mexico and Brazil and Canada and the Philippines and the United Kingdom, but we need a strategy to send some where the gospel hasn't gone yet. Amen right there? And the third part is we do need a plan. The good news here is we don't have to come up with one because the Bible's already given us one. If we were to penetrate Matthew 28, 19, if we penetrated every people group with the gospel and we began making disciples, you know what would happen in that people group? According to the biblical method of disciple making, every creature in that people group would hear the gospel. So what's our plan? Here it is simply put, a church for every nation or a church for every people group. Second part of the plan, uh, let me go back to this, uh, this slide right here. Remember this one we looked at a few minutes ago? Uh, 61, I said 71 early, 61,000 churches, uh, over 61,000 churches. Look at this. That's one unreached people group for every 8.7 churches. Do you, do you know what that says right there? It says it's doable. If eight churches got serious about this people group and eight churches got serious about this one and eight churches got serious about this one, pretty soon we'd have all 7,407 of them reached. It's doable. Very doable. Uh, the second part of the plan is discipleship in every church. That's the strategy the Lord uh, commissioned us to employ. So a church among every nation or people group, making disciples among that people group. And the third part is, in order to accomplish that effectively, we've got to have the Bible in their language. Church planning and discipleship are so seriously hindered, if not, if not completely hindered by the lack of scripture in their language. Now, remember this slide right here, 3,700 unreached languages with the, uh, no, a language with no scripture. Look at this. That's only one language for every 16 churches. Surely out of 16 churches, God could find somebody with a heart to give their life to giving the word of God to one of these unreached languages. This is extremely doable. Are you all still with me this morning? I hope you felt, wow, and now I hope you feel, let's get at it, because it can be done. Cameron Townsend said, the greatest missionary is the Bible and the mother tongue. It needs no furlough and is never considered a foreigner. These men right here all have a couple of things in common. First of all, they were pioneer missionaries. You'll recognize some of those names. They were pioneers. They went where no one had gone. Number two, they all became Bible translators because when they got there, they realized, I'll never be successful here in spreading the gospel and, and making disciples if I don't translate the Bible into their language. All these men did that. I just finished reading the biography of John Payton on the bottom row right there, an 
incredible story. The third thing all these men have in common is they all lived over 100 years ago. And the question is, where are the new laborers for the work of Bible translation and pioneer missions? Would you pray with me, please? Lord Jesus, I pray that our hearts have been stirred this morning, that we have been awakened in a fresh way to the need, and that we have been stirred as to the doable nature of this great need. Lord, may every one of us in response to this commit to the first part of the solution, and that is to pray for laborers. Every one of us could pray that every day, and if we began to pray that every day, we could expect sometime in the future for God to send someone from Grace Baptist Church to an unreached people group in this world. I pray your will to be done in Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us for this episode, and please take a moment to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you enjoy this content, please don't hesitate to leave us a five-star review and share this podcast with your friends. We'd like to extend an invitation to you and your family to join us for worship this week at Grace Baptist Church. We'd also love to connect with you online at gracekettering.org. Thanks again for checking out this episode. I look forward to having you join us again right here on the Grace Baptist Church podcast.